between the ages of 25 and 35 who are married have nine times the average net worth of people who are single during that period. So what's a secret to keeping that marriage happy, functional, solid, secure? We will get to that also on a busy day on the Medved Show. But last night, uh, Liz Cheney in Jackson, Wyoming, uh, with a very dramatic mountain backdrop and some flags fluttering behind her and speaking out of doors to a crowd of uh, devoted fans, and she still has some devoted fans in Wyoming, she talked about her last election in which she faced uh, a primary challenge back in 2020 and then faced off against a Democrat in 2020 and compares it to her situation conceding defeat last night. This is clip three. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. But it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would not take. And uh, the uh, rate of uh, how badly she lost, apparently, Hageman, and they haven't finished counting yet, I mean, but Hageman got 66% to 29%. It was more than two to one. It was uh, crushing. And uh, there's a piece by Shane Goldmacher that appeared in the, uh, online for the New York Times. And he says Representative Liz Cheney's martyr-like quest to stop Donald Trump has ensured her place in Republican Party history. But her lopsided defeat in Wyoming yesterday also exposed the remarkable degree to which the former president still controls the party's present and its near future. A 10 House Republicans voted to impeach Mr. Trump in early 2021 for his role in citing the mob that stormed the Capitol. Only two have survived the 2022 Republican primaries, a breathtaking run of losses and forced retirements in a chamber where incumbents typically prevail with ease. Uh, the um, Shane Goldmacher goes on, the sheer scope of Cheney's loss, the daughter of a former vice president was defeated in a landslide may have only strengthened Mr. Trump's hand as he asserts his grip over the Republican Party by revealing the futility among Republican voters of even the most vigorous prosecution of the case against him. And he goes on to comment that, uh, look, there is every indication that if the purpose of the FBI and the Justice Department was to knock Trump out as a candidate for 2024, that purpose appears to be backfiring. Trump's support has actually increased. The, um, the DOJ and the FBI have gone after other politicians. There was actually another arrest where they actually arrested a uh, pro very prominent politician 
on a uh, range of money laundering and campaign contribution charges with a, a criminal complaint with 28 counts. We're talking about somebody who could face a very long time in jail. The uh, criminal complaint against him was uh, unsealed yesterday. Who are we talking about? We're talking about a former congressman named uh, T.J. Cox. And this is worth covering because it's gotten almost no attention. And yet it's one of a number of people who have one very, very important characteristic in common who have been busted by this FBI. Yeah, they've been active working against politicians. Uh, people all over the map, in Florida, in New York State, in Michigan, in California. So who are the people they've been going after? Loyal conservatives, uh, Trump supporters? We'll tell you coming up on The Medved Show. Medved show I uh, was mentioning the uh, the FBI attack they actually arrested him and led him away in handcuffs on a former congressman congressman from Fresno California uh, and his name is uh, TJ Cox and the headline is uh, ex-member of Congress is charged with fraud faces up to 30 years in prison a federal grand jury in California indicted Terrence John Cox, a former representative of Fresno, for an array of financial crimes, including a bid to divert campaign contributions during his election campaign in 2018. Uh, Mr. Cox, 59, known as TJ, is charged with 28 counts, including wire fraud, money laundering, and making a campaign contribution under the name of another person, according to a criminal complaint that a federal judge unsealed uh, on Tuesday. That's yesterday. Mr. Cox diverted $25,000 in illegal straw contributions to his 2018 campaign to secretly fund and reimburse family members and associates for donations to his campaign. So prosecutors for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of California said the FBI arrested Mr. Cox on Tuesday morning, yesterday morning. He was led away in handcuffs and was set to be arraigned later in the day. If he's convicted, he would face millions in potential fines and a prison sentence of at least 20 years, ranging up to 30 years. Uh, pretty tough, wouldn't you say so? Now, what does T.J. Cox have in common with uh, some other members of Congress and prominent politicians who've been prosecuted and persecuted by the FBI and the Justice Department, with Republicans so very angry at those agencies because of their handling of Donald Trump? There is a bribery case against a former lieutenant governor of New York. His name is Brian Benjamin. There are wire fraud charges against a former candidate for Florida governor, Andrew Gillum. He was the mayor of Tallahassee. He almost won. He almost won. He almost beat Ron DeSantis, but uh, didn't quite make it. And uh, now he's in huge problems. This is a, a racketeering case also against Michael Madigan, who was the former speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives. All these people are Democrats. 
And I mention this to you not to say that the Democratic Party is uniquely corrupt, that it's the only party that's corrupt. It's to show you that the FBI and the Justice Department are uniquely nonpartisan. It is simply a lie, and it is a bizarre lie that they only go after politicians who are conservative, that they're only persecuting Donald Trump, not because he did anything wrong, not because he handled his uh, uh, top secret documents with great recklessness and carelessness, but they're going after him because they want to stop his campaign for the presidency. Well, it's not going to stop his campaign for the presidency. Obviously, a higher number of people want him to run now than did before. And people tend to sympathize with his side of uh, the whole Mar-a-Lago search that was carried out, executing a, 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 a search warrant which was entirely legal and appropriate. It seems to me I don't know a great deal about T.J. Cox. I do know that David Valadeo, and this is an interesting thing, had held that seat in Congress. He's a Republican. This is the ultimate swing district. It had swung to this corrupt operator, T.J. Cox, and then Valadeo beat him and uh, has been in Congress since uh, 2018. And Valadeo is one of only two Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump in the House of Representatives who actually won his primary. He advanced to the general election, and I hope that he, together with other Republicans to make up a congressional majority, actually wins his final election. They had an election in uh, Alaska as well yesterday. The results aren't nearly as clear. The clear-cut results in Wyoming, 66 to 29 percent, that's dispositive. That makes the case. But uh, in Alaska, one of the things that is a, a questionable, this is the first time they have used their new ranked choice voting, a multi-candidate primary uh, winners a kind of election system. In other words, and to make it even more confusing, uh, like Wyoming, Alaska only has one member of Congress. For years and years and years, basically since the earth cooled, it was Don Young, who was a very good guy, mainstream Republican, and somebody who was noted for looking out after Alaska's interests. In any event, he died. And there is one election going on to fill his unexpired term. So somebody would get elected. Somebody could even have gotten elected last night uh, because there were they had a prior primary. There are four people who survived that primary. One of those people, Al Gross, dropped out. He was the most left wing of them. And right now they have Sarah Palin and... Uh, uh, Nick Begich are the two front runners. They're both Republicans. What's fascinating, and this is Alaska politics, what's fascinating is Begich is the nephew of a previous U.S. senator uh, from Alaska who was elected as a Democrat, but he's a Republican and a conservative, and uh, we will see what happens. Sarah Palin made a statement as the polls were closing in Alaska yesterday. 
See, uh, bashed ranked choice voting, which they have there, meaning you can vote for this is my first choice, my second choice, my third choice, my fourth choice. I feel voting wasn't complicated enough. She says, today is the first test case of the crazy, convoluted, undesirable ranked choice voting system. And to everyone who's watching from outside tonight, I say, please learn from Alaska's mistake. Voters are confused and angry and feel disfranchised by this cockamamie system that makes it impossible to trust that your vote will even be counted the way you intend it. Uh, we'll keep fighting to equip Alaskans with the information they need to make sure their voices are heard amidst this leftist crafted system, no matter how hard the corrupt political establishment works to silence us. Now, she is very likely to uh, to win. She could win that seat in Congress outright, depending on the way the com votes come in and become a congressperson immediately. Or she has already cleared she will make it to from the primary to the general election to be elected for uh, a full term. Uh, I think she's right about ranked choice voting. It makes things too complicated. And what about the future of the Republican Party? Too complicated or too unidimensional? It's all Trump, Trump, Trump as far as the eye can see. We'll talk about that with David French, the editor of The Dispatch, coming up on The Medved Show. On The Michael Medved Show... If there are a couple of concepts, a couple of words that have described the history of the Republican Party going all the way back to Abraham Lincoln, who was evoked last night in the concession speech, and yes, she did concede. She recognized she lost the election, the primary election. We're talking about Liz Cheney. Going all the way back to the era of, of Lincoln, Republicans have cared about loyalty and honor. Loyalty to the country, to the union, and loyalty to the party. And honor, uh, putting integrity and uh, reliability and the truth above uh, partisan fictions. So Liz Cheney honored that. Why did she lose and lose so badly? There's actually a very provocative answer to those questions by David French, the editor of The Dispatch, uh, one of America's most prominent political commentators and a distinguished attorney who spent many years defending religious liberty in our courts. Uh, David, uh, we've posted your piece at our website. Why did uh, Liz Cheney lose so badly last night? Well, I mean, the short answer, there's it's no real mystery because she turned against Donald Trump. I mean, now out of the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump, only two are likely to be returning this next year or, you know, after November, and not just because she opposed Donald Trump, but because she also is a co-chair of the January 6th committee, that she has been relentlessly determined to uncover the facts behind the January 6th riot and the Trump effort to overturn the election. It's just that simple. And any other explanation like, oh, she didn't spend enough time with the constituents is just absurd. <laughs> if she... If she was just as single-minded in defending Donald Trump as she has been in investigating Donald Trump, she would be back in Congress, no doubt. 
Well, you make the point that when you look at her voting record, she voted with President Trump 92.9% of the time. Yeah. She actually was far had a longer history of supporting Trump than Harriet Hageman, uh, the woman who won, who at one point had uh, called Trump a uh, xenophobe and a bigot and had attacked him in much more intemperate terms than Liz Cheney. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, one of the hallmarks of the era was that, and, and Trump was very shrewd about this, you could say anything about him. But as long as you turned and supported him, you know, all was forgiven, all was forgotten. And and then all, conversely, once you were in the camp, if you turned on him at all, then vengeance, he, there, you know, vengeance would be his. And so um, there was an enormous pressure to go ahead and conform, to buckle down and to give in to Trump. And then anyone who didn't conform or anyone who dissented would face the primary challenge, the end of their political career, and, you know, be cast out of the Republican tent entirely. Most uh, people look at the segment of the Republican Party that has very negative feelings about Donald Trump, and there are many Republicans who do, but it, it representing about 20 percent of the Republican right. electorate. Do you think that's about right? I would say about 20 percent, and that's probably on the high side. But that would include people who very, very, very reluctantly voted for Trump and people who wouldn't vote for Trump at all. And it's probably the percentage that would be, you know, once again, either not vote for him at all or the most reluctant to vote for him in 2024. Do you think there's anything about his handling of this this matter of Mar-a-Lago and the um, top secret papers, and there were four different files full of top secret papers that were found there. Do you think his handling of all of uh, this is actually going to increase the number of Republicans who question his suitability to be president again? You know, in the short term, it's going to have the opposite effect that it's actually tending to rally people around him. And the interesting thing is, is it's no one, uh, you know, there very few people are even really mounting that serious a defense of his actual conduct. What they're doing is they're attacking the FBI for searching his his home for those documents. And so the focus is entirely on the FBI, at least in, in most quarters of the Republican Party. But I doubt over time, if we learn additional details and uh, people realize the, how, just how irresponsibly he handled secret documents. I doubt over time that's going to help him. I think there's a short rally around the flag effect that occurs whenever Trump finds himself under fire. Um, but I, over the long term, I'm not so sure this is going to be the thing that rallies people to him. There was a Marquette poll of Wisconsin voters found that only about 2% of independents wanted Trump to run again. I mean, this is outside of Republicans. He's facing very, very, very negative headwinds. Well, it's concerning the FBI. Uh, making the FBI uh, the enemy of the Republican Party just seems to me insane. Uh, first of all, I, I, or just before you came on the air, I talked about their arrest, and they arrested him in handcuffs and led him away yesterday. 
uh, T.J. Cox, who is a Democrat from California. And you put together other people arrested by the FBI, Brian Benjamin, lieutenant governor of New York, Democrat. Uh, Andrew Gillum, candidate for Florida governor, Democrat, arrested by the FBI. And most importantly, a racketeering case that they brought against Michael Madigan, the former speaker of the Illinois House of Democrats, uh, House of Re Representatives, the most influential Democrat in Illinois. Uh, right. And do people forget about what the FBI actually did to Hillary Clinton 10 days before her showdown with Trump in yeah. 2016? Well, you know, it, it's what's really remarkable about all of this is how much symmetry there is between the sort of defund and dismantle the FBI argument that you've seen from the very online right with the defund the police argument from the very online left that, you know, you take an abuse or a perceived abuse and then you turn it into a campaign to sort of gut the entire institution. And to most people, most Americans, that just seems weird. <laughs> that, you know, what are you talking about? Especially when you're talking about we're in a higher crime period in American history than we've been in the last couple of, th you know, two or three years. Crime's gone up after some long declines. And, and then you wait, what? You want to dismantle the FBI or defund the FBI because it executed a search warrant against a president who took home classified information improperly that doesn't make any sense but you know one of the one of the hallmarks of this era is that the creation of this very radicalized very active on twitter version of the right that is extremely uh extremely angry and as i said extremely radicalized and proposing policies that most strike just most people as as ludicrous one of the uh, aspects of that ludicrous policy is that if you honestly do believe there is a swamp, and I think there is, uh, then clearing out the swamp is going to have to involve law enforcement. It's going to have to involve the Justice Department and the FBI, right? Well, you're going to have a you're going to have to have a federal law enforcement agency. I mean, we have a host of federal criminal statutes that Americans support and that are indispensable. To the operation, to the, you know, the lawful operation of American government and the economy, and this idea that you're going to dismantle the leading federal law enforcement agency, uh, defund the leading federal law enforcement agency, especially when how think about how indispensable it is to um, counterterrorism operations, counterintelligence operations. Uh, it, it's it's just it's it's frivolous. It's a frivolous talking point that's on the very online right, and it's ridiculous. Amen to that. David French, his, uh, the author of the book, Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. Uh, you can read his most recent column. It's posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, we will be right back on what next for Liz Cheney. Coming up. Michael Medved show the defeat of uh, Liz Cheney hardly came as a surprise all the polling had shown that she would lose by a substantial margin she lost by an even bigger margin than expected 
66% of the vote for Harriet Hageman, and nobody could think that Harriet Hageman was a particularly dynamic candidate. She was just the one who was endorsed by Trump uh, among a whole series of uh, people who were challenging Liz Cheney. One of her few hopes for actually winning that primary election would have been that the pro-Trump, anti-Cheney segment of the electorate would be divided among different candidates, members of the legislature and business people and, and others. But uh, Trump's support for Hageman um, meant that uh, she emerged as the clear alternative and she won by two to one. In the a concession speech given by Congresswoman Cheney, and she continues in Congress, and she'll continue with the January 6th committee, the special select committee. Uh, she'll continue with that until the, uh, the middle of this January when she leaves the Congress of the United States. But um, she compared herself to another congressman who had a only brief service in the House. He served for a single term, and then he lost... The name was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, listen, this is clip five from her concession speech. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. Okay, uh, look, I I love references to Lincoln. And I think the more we can talk about Lincoln and try to follow his example and feel inspired by him, the better it is. But the comparison that she makes between herself and and Abe Lincoln is uh, is stretching it uh, because uh, Liz Cheney. And this is the way it works. When you start off from a very advantaged background, and her background, she started with a tremendous advantage. Her father was a vice president of the United States, former defense secretary, former White House chief of staff. Her mother was the former head of the National Endowment for the Humanities and a brilliant historian and a fine writer. Uh, okay, Lincoln came from nothing. And he actually had made very little impression during his one term in Congress. When Cheney was elected to Congress, and really, which is just eight years ago, she, uh, she rose to the top of the heap very quickly. She was the number three ranking person in Congress. Uh, Lincoln wasn't there. It's also the, the, the danger facing the United States of actually breaking apart over the issue of slavery, I don't think is comparable to what we have now. Do I think there are dangers of divisiveness and polarization? Sure. But what is the one issue, the one issue that is going to divide Americans 
so that we can't reconcile. We're going to be talking about the danger of civil war, which is so overhyped, coming up with Tom Nichols. But the the idea that uh, one individual, one particular politician who uh, is is wildly controversial and does not have anything like majority support of the nation at large. He does have majority support in the Republican Party, but that's isolating and damaging the Republican Party. And the idea that the nation is going to uh, separate over Donald Trump, that there would be secession attempts if Trump is reelected. The real danger, as a number of people have said, is not that uh, Trump uh, actually wins the election. The real danger is that he loses the election and goes through the stolen rigged election deal again, just like uh, Riley Odinga is doing in Kenya. Uh, this was uh, Cheney talking about uh, closing her speech and her mission in life as she now sees it. Clip four. We must be very clear-eyed about the threat we face and about what is required to defeat it. I have said since January 6th that I will do whatever it takes to ensure Donald Trump is never again anywhere near the Oval Office, and I mean it. This is a fight for all of us together. I'm a conservative Republican. I believe deeply in the principles and the ideals on which my party was founded. I love its history, and I love what our party has stood for. But I love my country more. So I ask you tonight to join me. As we leave here, let us resolve that we will stand together, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, against those who would destroy our republic. They are angry and they are determined, but they have not seen anything like the power of Americans united in defense of our Constitution and committed to the cause of freedom. There is no greater power on this earth. And with God's help, we will prevail. Thank you all. God bless you. God bless Wyoming. God bless the United States of America. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Great to conclude on, uh, conclude on an optimistic note. Uh, she was speaking this morning to Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show and uh, had this to say, clip six. Are you considering running for president yourself? Well, what I'm going to do, Savannah, is spend the next several months uh, completing my work in Congress, obviously completing my work representing the people of Wyoming. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of work left to do on the January 6th committee. Uh, and also, though, uh, I'm going to be making sure that people all around this country understand the stakes of what we're facing, understand the extent to which uh, we've now got uh, one major political party, my party, uh, which has really become uh, a cult of personality. And we've got to get this party back to a place where we're embracing the values and the principles on which it was founded. Uh, and, and talking about, you know, fundamental uh, issues of civics, fundamental issues of what does it mean to be a constitutional republic. But Congresswoman, and you didn't answer me yes or no. Takes yeah, I know that Donald you... Trump. I will be doing whatever it takes to keep Donald Trump out of the Oval Office. Well, I know you didn't say yes or no, and that's fine if you're thinking about it. But are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about running for president? It, uh, that's a decision that I'm going to make in the in the coming months, Savannah. I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but uh, but it is something that I uh, I'm thinking about, and I'll make a decision uh, in the coming months.
Okay, the a fair enough answer and a reasonable answer because things will look very different when she is actually out of Congress. And um, President Trump hasn't even announced his candidacy yet. And I am one of those people, and I still believe this, that he may not. The um, Basically, here's uh, a, a new, they have a piece over the morning consult about a uh, new survey from a morning consult Politico survey. Uh, Trump's 2024 primary support reaches new heights after FBI raid. The share of Republican voters who said they would vote for former President Donald Trump if the 2024 Republican primary were held today, it's up to 58%. That's the highest it's ever been. But that 58% doesn't mean, and I, I hate to disagree with uh, uh, Liz Cheney on anything, but... I, I do disagree with her on this. I don't think that the Republican Party has been uh, captured into being some kind of tribal, isolated cult. There are people like that. There are constituencies like that. Uh, the state of Wyoming is a state where Trump won 70% of the vote in 2020. So the, the opponent of the, to Harriet Hageman, the opponent Harriet Hageman to Liz Cheney, won almost the same number, 66%. And 58% say they would vote for him in a primary. Uh, that still leaves 42% of Republicans who are unconvinced. And even more than that, who say they wish that Trump wouldn't run. Does that mean that we're on the verge of civil war? I do not believe it. But we will talk about it with Tom Nichols, who's thought about it and written about it very persuasively on behalf of